0: First Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, Because we have testified of God that he's raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Amen. So we are just making our way through 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. The timing couldn't be more perfect as we make our way toward Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And Paul had spent the first number of verses dealing with an issue that had come up in the Corinthian church regarding resurrection. When he had preached it, they believed it. But now somebody, some among them, that's what the first verse of our section says, some among them had brought in this teaching, this belief that uh, that. The dead do not rise, that there's no uh, such thing as resurrection, uh, probably some sort of materialist thought. Uh, In other words, a materialist only believes in things they can touch, see, handle, taste, experiment on. So we live in a very materialistic world. Many people have chosen to not believe in anything after death, that there would be nothing then. It's just life is here and that's all there is to it. So if this sort of teaching has crept in and is gaining a foothold in Corinth. And so Paul is dealing with that with them and no doubt dealing with that with us as well. So the question is that I asked last week, we asked what happens when we die? We can ask other people that question. It's a compelling question to ask. It's a valuable question to ask, creates good conversation or ends previously not so good conversation. You can ask that question. So what do you think happens when you die? And people say, okay, I'll see you later. I don't feel like thinking about that. But today, we'll sort of touch on the question through this section, why do we die? Why do people die? And who says it has to be that way? We have it as our universally accepted and understood and experienced as human beings. No matter when you've lived, no matter where you've lived, no matter what your economic status, whether you're powerful or obscure, whether you're glorious or not so glorious on the face of the earth, whatever your race, your social status, Death is the universal equalizer. It visits everybody. Now, we have been very concerned with extending life expectancy. We're very much about how do we live longer. We talk about blue zones. We study people that have longevity. Did you know the oldest person to ever live? She lived in France. She died back in 1997 at the age of, anybody want to take a guess? 122, 122. And she's the oldest person that has of course, outside of the Bible. In the Bible, we remember a man named Methuselah because yeah, he's older than Methuselah. Well, there's nobody I know older than Methuselah. He was 969 when he died. So despite all of our technology and despite our keto diets and medicine advancements and all these things, and even an expectation, a modern expectation that life expectancy should, because of these things, be extending and getting greater and greater and greater, we haven't seen it happen. 122 years is the max anybody's experienced. Again, post-flood, we've got a different situation. Methuselah was before the flood. So it's kind of leveled off. 115 seems to be the max, and uh, no matter how long we can extend it, eventually we get there, we can't prevent it. And the real jarring thing of Genesis 5 is not that Methuselah lived 969 years, but that it says, and then he died. So as we go through this section, we're going to talk a little bit more about that we're discussing discuss the resurrection and the effects of sin on the human race and the effects of resurrection on sin. So that's kind of what we'll be looking at today, how resurrection and sin and death are all interrelated and interconnected. And that's the gist of what we'll be looking at today. So verse 12, Paul said to the Corinthians, now if or since Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? That's the core of the issue he had just spent the first 11 verses showing them that, in fact, it's been the consistent, unified teaching of all of the apostles, of all the disciples, including eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This has been the message of the gospel from the beginning, that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. He is alive. So he's established that. So he's wondering, if that's what we brought to you, if that's what we taught you, if that's what you learned, how is it that now you're questioning this? Where is this new this idea that resurrection is not possible or doesn't happen, where's that coming from? And so Paul takes some time to say, well, let's play a little hypothetical imaginary game. Let's go with your view on there's no resurrection, that people in general don't rise from the dead. Let's play that out, hypothetically speaking. Let's see where that leads, if that's true. So this section is a very hypothetical section, Paul playing with the idea, what does life look like? What does it matter If there's no resurrection, what does it affect? Who cares? And that's what Paul is going to talk to them about. So he starts, verse 13. He said, the first problem if the dead don't rise is that Christ didn't rise. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. I mean, have they considered or thought what they're saying? Have you, church, considered that we brought you this teaching of resurrection, that Christ rose from the dead? Now you're saying it doesn't happen. So you're saying Christ... Did not rise from the dead? Do you realize the implications? Have you thought this through? If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then he's just another martyr. He died. They're not arguing that. He was crucified, buried. They're not arguing that. Then he's just another martyr who died for some set of beliefs. And that's not altogether uncommon, is it? So he says, verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, second thing, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. All the time we've preached to you and you've believed it and you've heard it and you've listened and the preaching of the gospel changed their lives. He's talking to a group of people. He said in chapter six, you were thieves, you were sexually twisted, you were drunkards, but God washed you and he cleansed you, he justified you, he saved you. You're not what you used to be. Their lives had been changed through the preaching But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then how can you trust anything that's preached? Then I'm just gabbing and wasting my breath, wasting my time with preaching because it's all hinges on Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, he said he would, and then he did. And if he didn't, then he's a liar and you can't trust anything Jesus said, right? Are we together? So not only is the is the preaching empty, but if you believed it, whatever you believed in, if the preaching is empty, if the message is empty, Then anybody who believes it, their belief is empty. It's the same word that was used of Jesus when he says uh, he emptied himself in Philippians 2. He made himself of no reputation. It's empty. It's empty. It's valueless. And verse 15, he goes on Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. So he's playing it out hypothetically, if the dead don't rise, then Jesus didn't rise. Our preaching is empty. Your faith is empty. Not only that, but it's as if we were in a court giving a sworn oath about God. And we said, God raises the dead. And you're saying we perjured ourselves. Perjury is a pretty serious offense, isn't it? I mean, it undermines justice in in the justice system. And that's what Paul's saying here. You're saying that everybody who said Jesus is alive, everybody who says God raises the dead, is a liar. Because in fact, if he didn't raise the dead, then we're all lying. You know, Christianity is not just some theoretical postulation about what we think happens in the afterlife. Talk to people about what they think happens when they die. I've heard all kinds of things from soup to nut. And most people are nuts when it comes to this thing. All kinds of ideas. But here's the interesting thing. You can really say anything you want. You can say, well, I believe I turn to a woolly mammoth when I die. Now, I don't know why you would want that, but how can we test it? How will we know if what you're saying is right or wrong? Because it involves the afterlife. We can't go there. We have to wait until we die to see if it was true or not. And then it's too late to change our mind. So you can really make up anything you want. Is Muhammad right? Is Joseph Smith right? Is Buddha right? Were the Vikings right? And how do you know? How do you verify it? But Christianity, Paul just said, is verifiable. Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to people alive. Not one, not two, not three, not 12, hundreds. Last week, I gave the example of the moon landing. I said, there's these things that people have denied. One of those conspiracy theorists deny that we ever landed on the moon. Now to hold on to that theory and the pride of that theory, you have to say that Neil Armstrong's a liar, that Buzz Aldrin's a liar, and that all the people that worked for NASA during that time we're all liars and that only you know the truth. You would have to say that when Neil Armstrong, looking at earth from outer space, stuck up his thumb and could obscure the entire earth with his thumb, he said, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put up my thumb and shut one eye and my thumb blotted out the planet earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. Did you know that Buzz Aldrin, after the the lunar land, the eagle landed on the moon? Do you know what the first thing they did on the moon was? They opened the Bible and they read from John 15. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then they shared communion. Did you know that? Even Snopes says it's true. You can find that information. that's readily available. It was obscured by NASA for obvious reasons because they went on a radio shutdown. They broke bread, read John 15, shared communion together. It's the first thing they did on the moon before they even stepped out of the lander. Neil Armstrong, first man to ever walk on the moon, visited Jerusalem in 1994 and wanted to know from his archaeologist host, is there a place that he could know that Jesus undoubtedly walked? And his host and guide took him to the southern steps of the temple that were carved out of bedrock. We go there on our Israel trips and... The story goes, Neil Armstrong knelt down, and he said, I have to tell you, I'm more excited stepping on these stones than I was stepping on the moon. Now, if they did not ever go to the moon, then Buzz Aldrin never shared communion there, and he's just a big fat liar. And Neil Armstrong can't even make that statement, and his guide said, oh, come on, Neil, you were never on the moon. It all falls apart. Do you see how this works? To deny it is to call them all liars. It was experiences. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, these guys were changed by the experience. You don't go to outer space and look back at earth and remain the same person. It's a perspective changer. The disciples, they were running away scared when Jesus was arrested and being crucified. They headed for the hills. They followed at a distance. Peter denied Jesus, denied a relationship with him. The same group of guys after the resurrection, are willing to die for what they believe. All they had to do was say, oh, we confess it's a lie. But when you know the truth, so these people in Corinth are saying, well, we think it's a lie. And Paul's saying, you're calling all of us liars, all of us, and that you somehow are the truthful one. And this is where we get our faith from. We are the products of generations and centuries that go back to this understanding of the resurrection. And he says, verse 16, no, it gets worse. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Yet you're driving that home, Paul. And listen, here's where it gets real serious for you and me. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, profitless, does nothing for you. See, we believe we are saved by grace through faith. That's what Ephesians says. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And that's what we believe. But if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then our faith is futile. And he says, do you see it there? You are still in your sins. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Still in my sins. I'm still in my sins. What does that mean? I mean, that's an identity statement. That's a location statement. That's how I'm identified. I'm in my sins. Salvation for the Christian is not based on my deeds, but but on a relationship that I have or don't have. So where does death come from? And Paul clearly has in mind two families, two relationships. The relationship with Adam. Remember the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed in the garden, communing with God openly and enjoying all that God had given them. And he said, just this one tree. You've got like a gazillion others out here. One tree, just leave that one alone. And where does Eve find herself? Right by the tree. Isn't that just like us? The one thing I can't have, that's what I want. And what did God say to them? The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they did. They ate of it. Did they kill over instantly and die? But what happened was the death principle entered creation. And through Adam, death entered, Romans 5 says. Then death spread to all humanity because we're all children of Adam and Eve. Even science tells us that every human being Traces their ancestry back to a common ancestor. Science calls her mitochondrial Eve. You can write that down if you can spell mitochondrial. There's an H in there. Mitochondrial Eve. So even science tells us we're all connected biologically, genetically, and we're all connected spiritually. And when Adam died, he bombed out. That's why we call it the Adam bomb. Guess what happened? You never heard that before? I love you guys. You laugh at my jokes. Death spread through Adam to everybody. So every, listen carefully, every human being who's ever been born, which is everybody, are we together in this? Everybody, doesn't matter where you live on planet Earth, what your religion is, what your whatever, everybody was born into the family of sin and death, Adam's family. Everybody. So the real quest of life is how do we get out of that family? How do we escape the death family? and get into the life family. And where does the life family even come from? Where does life come from? See, life doesn't come from religious rules. Life doesn't come from regulations and rituals. To have life, you've got to get it from something that can give you life. So the second family, there's only two important men in the history of the world. One is Adam, the other is Jesus. If you've been born naturally associated with this first family, Adam's family, then you were born into death. And Ephesians 2 says you're dead in your sins and trespasses. The only way out of that is to have a new family, to be born again into a new family with a new identity, born into Jesus' family through faith, through connecting my life to Jesus. And that's a game changer. That changes everything, including my sin, because I'm identified with him. When I was identified with Adam, I had his death. But when I'm identified with Christ, I have his life. So Paul's saying, sin and death. See, when sin entered the world, what came with it? Death. So if I deal with sin, then what else do I deal with? Come on, church, tell me you're paying attention. I deal with death. So if Jesus dies and doesn't rise, he's not dealt with sin. And we're still in our sins. There's still no answer. Humanity is lost. But if Jesus dies... He grabs the sin monster, grabs it by the throat, dives deep into the grave and chokes out sin through righteousness, his own righteousness. And then once he has killed sin, death releases him and he rises from the grave because he's dealt with sin. The Bible is very consistent on this. Once sin is dealt with, then death is dealt with. And that's why Jesus can say, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Because he put sin to death and conquered death. And so how do you prove that? How do you know? How do you validate it? Jesus rose from the dead. That is the proof positive, the unarguable proof that Jesus conquered sin. Why? Because he conquered death. And if I'm in Christ, if I'm in relationship with him, then he's conquered sin. And if he's conquered sin in my life, what has he conquered for me? He's conquered death. And if he's conquered sin in your life, what has he conquered for you? So will you die? we're not sure, Pastor. Is that a trick question? This body you will shed, but you will not die. You just change locations. That's what Jesus said to Mary and Martha. He believes in me will never die. I know, crazy, right? Go figure. Because why? Because sin has been taken care of. The power of death is in sin, and we'll get there toward the end of the chapter. That's where death comes from. That's why the human experience is what it is. There's no biological answer. Why do evolved creatures have to have an end to their life? I mean, there's nothing says in evolution that why should we evolve to be temporary? Nobody knows. I got a whole book on that thing called The Secret Lies of Cells, why we live and how we live and why we die. Fascinating to me. We just assume things are the way that they are because that's how they should be. But here's the interesting thing. I've read it to you before. I'll read it again. Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But Ephesians 4 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Doesn't say, I made myself alive through faith. Doesn't say, I made myself alive through my good works. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. That's the key. That's the relationship you need with Christ. Christ. You were either with Christ or you're without Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. All kinds of dead people do great stuff on planet earth. There's all kinds out there doing all kinds, getting glory, running businesses, participating in athletics. Everybody's cheering for them. It's just a whole dead family. in Adam, all doing stuff, all living life, looking for glory on planet earth. And when you die, all the glory ends. It's all over for some of us as Christians, when we die, that's when the glory really begins. So he goes on, then verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. So if there's no resurrection, then anybody that died believing this, well, they're gone, they're lost. There's no hope for them. No hope for me, no hope for you. Isn't it interesting, the wording, fallen asleep? That doesn't mean, you know, snoozing. Be honest. How many of you at night, you've had a long day, hard day, I just can't wait to get into bed. Anybody with me in that? Man, I am tuckered out, ready for bed. I look forward. My head hits the pillow and I am exhausted. I'm ready for bed. I don't ever go, I'm afraid to go to sleep. I don't know what happens when I go to sleep. I don't know what's gonna happen next. I know that when I go to sleep, I sleep for six hours, seven hours, five hours, whatever it is. Most of us don't sleep enough. Some of you sleep too much and you're doing it in church right now. But I know that in the morning, When the sun is up, I'm going to open my eyes to the new day. And that's why I like this euphemism that Christians don't die. We just fall asleep because we close our eyes in this world and we open them looking at the face of Jesus. We open them in the next. And that doesn't scare me. I don't have to fear that. I don't fear going to sleep at night. I look forward to it. I look forward to the rest and my eyes opening in a new day. So Paul says, those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. That's the question about how does one have eternal life instead of eternal death, eternal loss? You've all heard the saying, all roads lead to... No, don't say Rome. We said Rome first service too. heaven, heaven. Look, I've gone route 15 north and never gotten to Rome. So the first service did the same thing. All road to Rome. Yeah, that's true. That's the saying. But all roads lead to heaven is what people say, Right. And you know, whoever says that, I'm going to give you some serious artillery right now, because whoever says that is clearly ignorant. God bless their souls. I mean, clearly ignorant, because they don't know what they're talking about. Listen, Muslims look forward to paradise, which is the Islamic word, Jaina. And to get there, one imam said, the whole life of a Muslim constitutes a trial and a test by means of which his final destiny is determined. Sharia literally means a well-trodden path to water, the source of all life, representing the path to Allah as given by Allah, the originator of life. So the path to Allah is Sharia law and doing all the rituals. So that's one path. But the Vikings, they didn't have Sharia law. They had a different path to God. Their path to God was battle and honor and bravery. The worship of Odin involved bravery and honor. And Odin... Well, he would choose those that would be adopted into his family and sit around his table drinking mead and wine and partying. How did he choose? Death on the battlefield. If you died in battle, you got adopted into his family. That's what drove their culture. Dishonorable behavior got you eternal exclusion. If you were Greeks, it was Elysium or the Elysian fields. That was for gods, nobles, and also those who lived a virtuous life. You had to live a virtuous life to experience that. That was what was valuable to the Greeks. The Buddhist, this is interesting, nirvana means quenching or blowing out like a candle. And it refers to the blowing out of the quenching of painful sensations. So heaven isn't a place. Nirvana isn't a place. It's a state of mind that is free from greed, anger, and delusion. Here's the interesting thought. The mind, they believe, is a string of thought moments. And the last thought moment a person has before they die determines their next life. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing to me. As I read this, I think all paths, all roads point to Jesus. Jesus kept the law that the Muslims are looking for. Jesus died valiantly, battling against sin and death like the Vikings admire. Jesus lived a virtuous life like the Greeks admire. And Jesus, his last thought before he died was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think all roads point to Jesus. It's interesting to me that my dogs and chickens have never stopped and said, Steve, you know, we're worried about our eternal destiny. It's fluvanna. We live on a farm. What do you want? Fresh chicken. Why is it, think about this. Why is it that the human mind, if we evolved from a single cell and through the process of undirected chance evolution, why should we conceive of an afterlife? Why should that be part of us? That doesn't make any sense. But if... We descended from the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, who had experience in paradise. It could be expected that the common human experience, even if there's a little differences, there is in us this desire for this understanding of life after death, whether that's some remnant in our DNA or a distant memory fragment from the Garden of Eden. Why is it the common? I mean, people are buried with their stuff. One guy got buried in his Cadillac. Like they buried the whole thing. People get buried with their stuff they're going to need because they expect that they're going to live after they die. So that's pretty universal human desire. Why should it be? If we've evolved, I don't think that should be there. I think we should be more conscious of the fact that, well, there's nothing. But yet we see it throughout history and throughout humanity. And the Bible tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's a reason human beings conceive of an afterlife. And I think it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and their presence in the garden with God. Like there's a seed, a remnant, something in our human lives that we go, you know, this can't be it. There's a memory, there's something. So Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So we recognize in this life, we have hope in Christ. In this life, how many of you would say your life has been changed by Jesus Christ? Just say amen, amen, amen. Talking to a young guy, coming in. To, I've known him for, I don't know, probably 13 years with the Lord, apart from the Lord. He's, he's been struggling it out, working it out for the last, I don't know, 12 years, 10 years, however long it is. When I met him, he was a dead man, dead man. And God has given him life, comes back and God is blessing him. God has been good to him. Jesus has been good to him. I'm looking around. for where is he? I told him I was going to stand up if you would. You were a dead man, suicidal and struggling and, and God has given you life, hasn't he? Amen. And we've spent many hours together and just to watch, to see him sitting here today is proof that the resurrection is real. God changes lives and he's changed our lives, hasn't he? He changed the Corinthians' lives. They believed it and it changed their lives. I worry about the generation now. Generations that have come before us, they worried about what happened when they died. They worried about their future. They worried about their eternal future. They worried about their economic, practical future. There was a generation that saved, they skimped, they lived simple so they could save and sock money away for their kids so their kids could be comfortable. And now we're their kids and we're spending it all. Credit card debt, check this out. This blew my mind. Credit card balances are at an all-time high. Americans paid banks $113 billion in credit card interest in 2018. That's interest. 113. We struggled to give God two to four percent in the church but Americans give $113 billion in interest. That's up 12% from 2017 and 49% in the last five years. We live increasingly in a now generation. Well, what are we buying? We're buying stuff from Amazon with the one click, simple purchase. And then you know how that stuff's gonna be delivered to us in the future, in the very near future? Amazon Prime Air. Because we live in a now generation, I want to click and order it now. Then I want it to be at my house. How? Delivered by drone in 30 minutes or less. That's Amazon Prime Air. That's coming. That's scary. Why? Because instant gratification is the way of the future. So if in this life only we have hope in Christ, and we do, we do, but nothing that Christ does for me in this life is going to compare with what he's going to do for me in eternity. In heaven, there is the Lamb, continually standing as if he had just been slain. And the forgiveness that that has offered to me, we're about to break bread. We talked about Buzz Aldrin and communion. The communion is set up. We get a temporary benefit from Christ here. But we get an eternal benefit. Eternity is a long time. And it's a long time to have a belief about what happens when you die and not know for sure. I mean, that's a big wager to go. Well, this is what I think happens. How do you know? Listen, church, how do you know? And I can tell you, the Bible is telling us, history is telling us, witnesses are telling us, the scriptures are telling us, the trustworthiness is telling us that Jesus Christ is alive, and that's how we know that we know that we know that what we believe is true. And if it's not, if Jesus didn't rise, then what we believe is false. Some of you come here week after week. That doesn't mean you're saved. Doesn't mean you've been born again. You can go through religious routine and still be in Adam. A lot of people that are still connected to Adam are in church. And they're going through the motions. They've never trusted Christ for their salvation. They're still trusting in their own works. Still trusting in their own good deeds. That's what sets Christianity apart, isn't it? Read any other world religion. The Buddhists are trying to get to self-actualization on their own or to nirvana on their own. The Muslims have to keep the set of laws. I have to be virtuous. And all I have to be is in Christ. And that's life-changing. I'm forgiven and set free and loved and accepted and welcomed for now and for all of eternity. And when I die, I shed this body and I get to be with the Lord for eternity in a brand new body, in living eternal fellowship. I don't understand it but I'm sure looking forward to it because listening to the news is a bummer. I don't know about you. I can't listen anymore. If you've never accepted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, uncertain about what happens, anxious about your future, anxious about your present, filled with shame or guilt, then I want to invite you this morning that you can be born again by faith. Jesus will come into your life. He'll enter into your heart by faith produced this miracle of a new life, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in a whole new life. So it would be awesome if you said, I want to get saved right now. I need forgiveness. I want to be secure about my eternity. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know that my sin has been taken care of. Just enjoy what the Lord has done for you now and eternally.